So we're uh, in the second week of our sermon series, Prophets, Priests, and Kings, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a really weird thing on the screen that was all green and matrixy. That was weird. All right. We're going to be looking at priests, and I'm just going to stand over here and pretend that didn't happen. No one saw a thing. And so uh, when we're talking about priests, the, the first thing we really uh, have to do is, like we did last week with prophets, is we have to ask ourselves the, the question, uh, what is a priest? Uh, because uh, if I said to you the word priest, most of you would imagine someone maybe from the Catholic background, uh, you know, black rose, maybe a white collar. Yes, that's the first mental pitch you get when I say priest, is you think that. I watched a, a scary movie uh, last night, as is my custom. Uh, I like to watch scary movies when... Um, Nikki's already gone to bed because uh, she doesn't do scary movies. Uh, and I, I, I watched a movie, and one of the predominant characters was, in fact, a Catholic priest. And so uh, I just had my mind going a little bit that when we think of priest, that's usually uh, what we think of. But really, the biblical definition of the word priest, when you come across it in Scripture, uh, what it means is this. It's an individual that tells people the nature and character of the God or gods they worship. That's what a priest is. And so uh, if you're reading through Scripture and you're reading through the book of Genesis, you'll find that there are uh, a few priests named. One of them uh, is a guy called Melchizedek. He is a priest of the Most High God, and he actually is one of the people who, who performs a blessing on Abraham at a, a point. And he's uh, uh, then mentioned later on in the New Testament as well. So he's a priest running around. But this is uh, a while before the nation of Israel even existed. And so uh, we know that God rose men up to uh, tell people about his nature and character. And so then later on you see some other priests uh, uh, that worship other gods. And so really the, the role of a priest in Scripture is uh, an individual who goes up to you and says, hey, this is what my God is like. This is how we worship him. This is what he can do for you. Uh, if you follow this, X, Y, Z, this is what's going to happen. And that was really the function of a priest. And so I just want you to keep that in mind uh, as we go through roughly uh, just a little bit of Scripture here. Um, and in addition to that, uh, we'll get to this passage a little bit later on in the story, but I want this to be in your mind as well. This is God speaking to Moses just before Moses goes up Mount Sinai. Now, everyone knows uh, that Exodus chapter 20 contains the Ten Commandments. It's the, the Ten fundamental principles, not only of Judaism, but also Christianity. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And down the line, there's 10 of them. And, you know, in some places we put them on buildings and out the front of buildings. Uh, uh, but right before that passage, right before that chapter where God gives Moses these instructions for how he wants his people to live, he has this passage in the book of Exodus. Uh, and this is chapter 19. He says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, the covenant that God's about to give Moses on Mount Sinai, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God literally here says, even though I could choose from everyone on the planet earth, I'm choosing you. But we talked about this last week. That doesn't necessarily mean that the people of Israel were all that so star-spangled awesome that God was choosing them because of their awesomeness. Often God chooses the weakest, uh, most horrendous people in Scripture to do His will to prove His glory, yes? 
And, and so this, this sounds a little bit like a compliment. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples because I own everything in the entire world. It, it could actually be a little bit of a backhanded. Like, I could have chosen them. They might actually do it. But I'm going to choose you and just watch what I can do through you. Thanks, God. And he continues, And you shall be uh, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Keep that in mind that the nation of Israel were raised up, taken out of captivity to be a nation of priests. And a priest is an individual who goes to another individual and tells people about the nature and character of their God. So remember those two points because we'll get there right after we talk a little bit about this guy called Aaron. Aaron was like so many, so many people. He was a middle child. And like so many middle children, the youngest child was clearly his mother's favorite. The younger child got all the attention. Everyone wrote the books about him. Everyone writes the movie about him. He was the older brother of Moses. His older sister was Miriam. She was born first. Aaron was the middle child, the first or the oldest son. And then Moses came along uh, a few years after that. And, and Aaron lives a tragic life in Scripture. He's not mentioned in Scripture until God gets angry with Moses and says, you know what, because you keep defying me, I'm going to send your brother Aaron to talk because he talks pretty. He went his entire life without being mentioned in Scripture. Remember that Moses is well into his uh, uh, 60s at this point uh, without being mentioned in Scripture, probably because he was the middle child. Middle child children need to suck it up just a little bit. Not everything's about them. Aaron is actually the first high priest. He was the, the founder and ancestor of the Israelite priesthood. The scripture that Bart read for us was the sort of God's inauguration of the priesthood. Uh, he said, get Aaron, uh, put robes on him, get him dressed up nicely, get him smelling good. He had to take a bath. Interestingly, priests have to take baths quite a lot in scripture. It's really quite fascinating how many times they need to bathe. Uh, um, and so uh, we read that, and that was sort of his instigation into the priesthood. Um, like I said, that uh, uh, Aaron was about three years old when Moses was born, um, and then Moses does the whole thing. The whole uh, uh, he gets put into the river, like we discussed last week, and he gets floated down the Nile and gets plucked out and raised in Pharaoh's household. Oftentimes, Scripture tries to draw our attention to something by sh not showing us something, which can be mad, maddening if you miss it. A and so what, what Scripture, I believe, is trying to teach us about the life of Aaron is actually that um, anyone can be a priest. There, there's nothing innately special about Aaron. I mean, he's a middle child, right? There's nothing special about middle children. They're just like there. They're not the oldest, they're not the first, so they're not the most loved. They're not the baby, they're not the youngest who needs to be taken care of. They're just, they're just there. That's the middle child, right? My wife will tell you, she's a middle child. She'll let you know. Middle child syndrome, it's a thing. And, and, and what I believe in Scripture here is what, what God is trying to demonstrate through its absence is that anyone that he chooses can be a priest. Anyone who follows God can be a priest. And so we're going to get to that a little bit 
later, like I mentioned, Aaron is first mentioned when the Bible, uh, in the Bible when God told Moses that Aaron was a good speaker and he would be Moses' spokesperson. And so what happens then uh, is that Aaron uh, reunites with his brother Moses. Moses comes back from the desert and says, hey, Aaron, God's got a task for you. You're going to do everything I tell you to do, much like a, a youngest child will often do to an older sibling. You have to do everything I say or I'm going to tell mum you're mean to me. I was the youngest child, just in case you were wondering how that dynamic works. Uh, and so uh, uh, Aaron follows Moses around. Moses does the big speeches. Remember the Charlton Heston movie, the let my people go stuff. Pharaoh says, uh, no. Uh, and so Aaron does one of the first miracles. He, he takes his walking stick and he turns it uh, into a, a serpent. Um, if you do watch the movie, the, Prin uh, the, the Prince of Egypt, the animated DreamWorks, that's a good scene right there. Just, I'm just telling you, it's the one redeemable scene from that entire movie. Um, is is the duet between Martin Short and uh, uh, Steve Martin. Um, and so Moses is the big figure in this story, right? He's the one that everyone's paying attention to. He's the one, uh, he's the front runner, he's the headliner of the show, and Aaron is the one who is literally his roadie following him around doing his bidding. Um, Aaron also uh, stretches that same walking stick at the crest of Moses. He brings on the first three plagues, uh, blood, frogs, lice, in cooperation with Moses, he produces the sixth plague, boils, and the eighth plague, locusts. So even though Moses gets this reputation of being, he's the one that was bringing forth the Ten Commandments, God was using Aaron to actually perform the miracles. He was using his priest. Um, I believe it's significant that uh, when he performed these wonders, Scripture goes out of its way to tell us that it was not because of any innate power in Aaron, but rather it was through the power of God, through the command of Moses, that Aaron was being obedient to. A lot of times, I believe God is waiting in the wings to do something really powerful in your life, but the problem is you're not being obedient to listen to his voice. Aaron had the choice of throwing down his stick and going, you know what, Moses, you're getting the credit. You're getting Charleston Heston to play you in a film. Whatever, I'm out, right? He's human. He has free will. He could have done this, but Aaron didn't. Instead, in a time that must have been uncertain, in a time when Pharaoh had absolute power, Aaron raised his stick in his presence and threw it on the floor, and it turned into a snake. It wasn't through any innate ability or individual initiative, but only by the divine command mediated through Moses. During the time of the Exodus, they were already old men, some 83 to 80 years old, uh, when fin Pharaoh finally yielded to their request and let the people of Israel go. Um, and, and what happens then is you get this great story. You get them, them sacking Egypt, taking out all of the, the cattle, taking gold and jewels, moving out into the wilderness. Aaron is involved in the parting of the Red Sea, uh, but the Israelites move through there, uh, and they go out into this wilderness, and they, they wander around, and they get to uh, Mount Sinai, and that's where, where Moses gets these instructions that the people of Israel are going to be a nation of priests, a royal uh, uh, people. And then Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. It was during this time period that Moses spent a little bit too long on the mountain. 
And Aaron is the one down on the ground having to deal with the Israelites grumbling and complaining. I'm so glad that in the three and a half thousand years since this story is written, the people of God has stopped grumbling and complaining in their everyday life. I got a sympathy laugh. I'll take it. I'll move on. But Aaron is down the foot of the mountain, and, and Moses is up there. Moses is enjoying that mountaintop presence, right? He's in the, the very presence of God. He can the, the mist is there. God's writing on stone tablets. All this is happening up the mountain, uh, and that's great for Moses. But Paul, Aaron, he's down here on the ground, surrounded at this point by over a million Israelites, all saying, Moses has been up there a really long time. And there's fire and flashing on the mountain. God's probably struck him down dead for tying his socks wrong. Like, Aaron, what are we going to do? We were safer in, you know, we might have been slaves in Egypt, but we were safer there. Like, sure, we had to make bricks, but you know what? At least we got three square meals a day. We had a roof over our heads, and we weren't camping in the desert with the bugs. One of the, the strangest experiences I had in moving to Roswell was when a scorpion decided it was just going to waltz in through the, the front door and, and, and my cat didn't know what it was. Cat killed it, in case you're wondering. Yay for my cat. That's it. No one cheered. I'm working cat stories now into almost every sermon from now on. It's your fault. But these Israelites, they're camping in the desert. There are bugs. There's sand. If you've ever been to the beach, the sand gets everywhere. It's horrible. Three days later, like, it's st you're still finding it in places. I've had six showers, and I'm still, like, wiping behind my ear and finding sand. It's ridiculous. And the Israelites are there, and they're grumbling and complaining. And so Aaron does one of the most stupidest things that a person who has been in the presence of God has ever done. He says, well, you know what? Let's, uh, let's build an idol. Aaron says to the people of Israel, bring me all the gold that you have, uh, all the jewels that you have. We're going to melt it down. Uh, and it's scripture says that they carved it into a giant uh, calf. This is where the, the golden calf uh, expression for idolatry comes from. It was a story in scripture. And the Israelites start worshiping it, uh, and they're all having a good time. Party. Uh, scripture says that they had a party. Some of them got drunk, and they started dancing quite inappropriately. I would say. This is not the Spirit of the Lord type of dancing we're talking about. This is like down at the club 3 a.m. after you've had a few kind of drinking. Like, this is the party, and I'm giving you more information than you probably need to give you the understanding that this was not a holy moment for the Israelites. They had seen the power of God. God was leading them by a, pi uh, a pillar of smoke by day, a, a pillar of fire by night. They had seen the, the ten plagues of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, and yet, even with all of that in their minds, they still very quickly turned away from God and did whatever they wanted to do. Because the human nature is that the blessings of God don't stay with us for very long, and we get entranced by our own sinful desires really quickly and easily. And the nation of Israel is doing this, and, and, and Aaron is there, and he's in charge of it. i got to imagine that he's not happy with it. He's probably there, like, scratching his head, going, oh, man, did I mess up? When Aaron gets back, he's going to be mad. He's going to tell mom. And Moses comes down the mountain, sees what's going on. And those precious stones that God had just chiseled with his own hands, he smashes into bits. The result of that party is that uh, 
Moses commanded that the Levite tribe kill 3,000 of the Israelites, there was a consequence for their actions. One of the funniest things in that story is Moses trying to defend himself. Uh, sorry, uh, Aaron trying to defend himself to Moses. He says to Moses, uh, uh, I don't know what happened. These Israelites, your people, gave me all this gold. I threw it into the fire and out popped this golden calf. He literally says that in Scripture. I know I'm a, I have a tendency for sarcasm and making things up and, and making it sound good. That's literally what Scripture says. These Israelites, your people, gave me their gold. I threw it into the fire and out popped this golden calf. You know what's really interesting? Is uh, uh, despite, despite his involvement in this incident, he was neither punished nor disqualified from the priesthood. Scripture does not record any punishment for Aaron for making this golden calf and allowing the people of Israel to worship it for not interfering. I find that very interesting until we get a little bit later on in his life because what we see with Aaron is that he also died without seeing the promised land. We talked about Moses last week about how he literally got to the mountaintop and was able to peer into the promised land and see uh, everything that God had promised and then said, but you're not going in. In a very subtle way, God did the exact same thing with Aaron. In fact, he died on the same mountain that Moses did. He was buried there five years before Moses passed away. Aaron died in obscurity after being the first high priest. Now, now let me back up just a little bit and tell you a little bit about Leviticus 16. It's a great chapter in, in Scripture. Aaron had two sons. Uh, who were also priests. They weren't the high priest. That was Aaron's job. But these two sons, uh, on a whim, decided they were just going to walk into the presence of God any way they wanted. And uh, Scripture says that they offered holy, uh, un unholy fire. We, we really don't know what that term means. Um, some people think it was essentially just sacrificing whatever they want to. Maybe it wasn't clean first or, or gone through the, 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 the way that God wanted things to be done. And so they just sort of waltzed in, going, oh, God, hey, 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 how you doing? And God struck them down dead. Aaron had his two oldest sons killed, probably close to right in front of him. And so, so then God says, hey, Aaron, uh, he actually says it to Moses. Uh, hey, Moses, tell this to your brother Aaron that he's not to approach my altar any time that he wants to, but he can only do it on one day a year. A and Leviticus 16 actually tells uh, the initiation of a Jewish festival called Yom Kippur. It means the Day of Atonement. And it was the one day a year that the high priest could actually enter into the presence of God and make a sacrifice uh, for the sins of the people of Israel to get them to a right state with God. And so Aaron had all of these responsibilities. He, he was the one person who could go into the presence of God and and get the sins of the people of Israel forgiven through the sacrifices that he presented there, and yet he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He goes up a mountain, and he, and he dies, and he's buried there overlooking the promised land in the same spot that then five years later Moses would pass away and be buried. The life of a priest is not a life of glamour and glitz. It's not the life of the spotlight it's not the life of someone who's going to get awards and accolades and, and, and things piled on. It's not a life of riches. The life of a priest 
So I asked a little bit earlier, what, is, what does it mean to be a priest? And I said uh, the, the very literal definition is a priest is someone who uh, um, tells other people about their God that they worship and, and how they worship it. When you're going through the Ten Commandments, there's an interesting little uh, bit there. there. How many of you have heard the commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain? Great. Uh, how many of you know that that's actually not the way that the word should be rendered because it's wrong in Hebrew? The actual way it should be rendered is, you shall not carry the name of the Lord in vain. A and what happened is when they were translating scripture, they thought, that's a really weird word. It doesn't make any sense. So we're going to just substitute it, and we're going to say, well, you're not going to take the name of the Lord in vain. And that's sort of where we, we know the commandment from today. But if you read chapter 19 like we just did, it actually makes perfect sense why you should not carry the name of the Lord in vain. God says to the nation of Israel, you are a priest, all of you. To the entire nation, your job is to go out into this world, take my name, or carry my name, and tell people what I'm like. A priest is someone who tells people about the nature of their God. So, so later on then in Scripture in the New Testament, you've got the, the Apostle Peter who quotes this to, to the new band of Christians and says, look, this is what God said about the Israelites. Here's what I'm saying about you. You guys have to be a kingdom, a nation of priests. And so you as a Christian, even though you might not be an ordained minister as by set by certain church standards, you're still a priest and it is still your biblical responsibility to take the name of the God that you worship out into the world and to communicate what that God's nature and character is like. And so you say, oh, my God is a God of love. My God is a God of faithfulness. He's a God of grace. He's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of, and you put in your experiences with the Holy God. He was a friend when I needed a friend most. He was there for me when no one else was. And it is your responsibility as a Christian to take that into the world. And that's where that Ten Commandment comes in. You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. It means that when you're out there, you are not supposed to do anything that distracts or makes low the name of the Most High God. That commandment is so much m more about than just, just uh, uh, when you hit your, your, your thumb with a hammer and, and, oh, God, that hurt. No, it's, that's not what that commandment is about. That's wrapped up into it, but it's not its primary focus. That commandment is about how are you representing God out there. Not in, not in here. In here, it's easy. Everyone in this room has roughly the same beliefs that you do. You love Jesus. Everyone in here uh, believes in the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus, that he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, right? That's what we believe. Uh, we went through uh, 11 weeks of the doctrines. We articulated every single one of them, and none of you stood up and said, you know what? Now nah, I'm out. I don't believe this. In here, it's really easy to carry the name of Jesus, it's really easy to not carry that name in vain because we all believe the same thing. But out there, it is difficult when you're at a public restaurant and you pray for your meal and someone decides to stop by the table and say, man, you're stupid for believing in that. How do you carry the name of Jesus? When you drive uh, up to Starbucks and the Starbucks barista gives you that horrible burnt coffee, how do you carry the name of Jesus? 
when you're like Mark and every week you're out there handing someone a hot meal, how, is, how are we carrying the name of Jesus? It's by your actions. It's by your words. Scripture tells us that uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, that we are being conformed into the image of the Son of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit is working on us, chipping away the innerness of us, the sinfulness, so that people see Jesus. So that when we go out into the world, people don't see you, they see Jesus. So when, when you go out into the world, people don't see that sinful nature. They don't see the bad things that you've done. They don't see uh, your human nature. Instead, what they see is the nature of Jesus shining through you. That's why Jesus said that you were the light of the world, a city on the hill, and that you should not let your light be dampened. You shouldn't put that light under a basket or a bushel, depending on your translation. You shouldn't try and hide the light of the Holy Spirit in your life when you go out. That's why it's there. It's there so that as a priest, as a priest, you can take the name of God where it is needed most. And I'm going to tell you, in three and a half thousand years, the function of a priest has not changed. The true priesthood of all believers is that you have the ability to go out to your friends, family, co-workers, and yes, sometimes even the barista at Starbucks who burns my coffee. You have been granted the privilege of carrying the name of God into a world that is broken and hurting and desperately needs the love of Jesus. And so the question for you to end our time together is not, do you believe you're a priest? Because if you believe in Jesus, you are a priest. The question for you today is, are you carrying the name of the Lord your God in vain? Or you, are you carrying it for a purpose? And that's a, that's a question that you have to decide for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you've given us to gather together in your name and just discuss you. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us here uh, embraces what it means to live a life of priesthood and that we can carry the name of God out into a world that is broken and hurting and in desperate need of healing, the healing that only you can bring. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus.